Heads up, denim lovers. Old Navy's biggest denim sale ever is here. All jeans are on sale up to 60% off. Styles start at just 12 bucks for adults, 8 bucks for kids. Plus, this Saturday and Sunday only, don't miss the Gina Day giveaway. Want a free pair of Old Navy's all-new jeans? Stop in for your chance to win and for up to 60% off all jeans. Now at Old Navy. Valid 916 to 924. Excludes in-store clearance. Five per day per store. Select styles. Jean giveaway in stores only. See stores for details. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to episode 265 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today we're going to continue on with our division previews. We're hitting the Southwest today. Before we get into that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. But uh, my son, he's not doing too hot. Let me tell you, we went to basketball practice here today, and he he was kind of going, I I don't feel all that well, Dad. I was like, okay, should we go home? No, no, it's fine. Let's go play ball. And we make it, and he started shooting a couple baskets. He's like, "Dad, I, I don't, I really don't feel that well. Let's, let's go home, buddy. Well, no, let me just go to the bathroom. Oh, okay." And I follow him out, and he starts barfing everywhere. Oh no! Everywhere, and then we of course had to go home, which is fine. But like the kid knew that something was off, and he still wanted to go hoop. So, mm-hmm. That's a good sign. He's got a good career in his future. Kobe Bryant will really like coaching him one day. Yeah, I I was about to say, Kobe's going to love that, right? (laughs) Hey, kid, when you're done barfing, come back out. Give me 1,500 jump shots. (laughs) Right, we're not Preferably from mid-range. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Well, I I apologize in advance if my audio quality is terrible today. I am in Chicago for the week, um, so I don't have my usual mic and just recording on my laptop. So... Apologies in advance, but hopefully it turns out fine. We also have a special guest on today to help us out with the Southwest. Who better than Bobby Corrala of Mavs.com? Bobby, how's it going, man? It's good, gentlemen. How are y'all doing? We are happy to have you back. Hey, Uh, I'm happy to be back. I heard this is episode 265. That's what you said, right? Indeed. Okay, I think the last time I was on was like episode 17. It is incredible that y'all are uh, y'all are still rolling, man. That's um, it's amazing. After it's a, so long. It's a testament to how much we don't have wives and how patient and tolerant our wives are, basically. No, Can't no, confirm. no. It's yeah. Ball is life. So. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, Bobby, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Uh, yeah, so I, I, everything I do is uh, is just – it's all Mavs content, so it's on Mavs.com or – uh, Dallas Mavericks on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm, I'm lucky enough to host a couple of them. Um, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you have Twitter uh, at Bobby Carella. It's K-A-R-A-L-L-A. And if you don't have a Twitter, don't get one. 
<laughs> Honestly, the best advice you'll hear on this entire episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, since we have you, Bobby, let's just start with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I think a couple big questions hanging over them with the young guys, one of whom we have seen play last year and who hit the ground running, the other who they acquired at the trade deadline and we have not seen yet in a Mavericks uniform, that is Kristaps Porzingis. I'm assuming you've heard how he's doing this summer or hopefully you, you've heard some, some back chatter about that so what do you think realistic expectations are for Kristaps this year I don't know it's tough I mean the, the goal is obviously that he's going to be able to play you know almost every game I think injuries have obviously derailed a, a lot of the early portion of his career including all of last season um, but I think just from purely from that standpoint I think like a real success would be kind of doing the Kawhi thing right where he he just doesn't play any night uh, second nights of back-to-backs and this year, I think they only have 13 or something. So if all goes well, I mean, he could easily play 60, 65 plus games, which would be great for him personally and also for the team. Um, but on the floor, man, like I don't know if you've seen his photos. He looks like uh, the dude that fights Rocky. I mean, he's Ivan Drago yeah. out there. It's unbelievable. He is so jacked, and um, that's not an accident. I mean, they kind of made it a point. Uh, this was talked about early, early on, like right after he came here, that. He was going to take the final couple months of last season, being 2018-19, to just lift weights like all day, every day, and strengthen his core and also his arms too. Um, but kind of the thought process behind that is he was kind of skinny. You know, he was, he was a rail playing power forward center in an offense in which he was posting up a ton. So he's mm. taking a beating all the time against these bigger dudes. For a guy that's as athletic as he is, jumping around as much as he is, that's a lot of stress to put on your knees and your and your feet. So I think by strengthening his core, hopefully that'll help him better. Like with his balance, he'll take fewer awkward falls. He'll be able to kind of distribute his weight a little better. And uh, that should help with his longevity too. And also I think for the Mavericks specifically, that benefits them because if he really is as big as he looks and it's not just like, you know, some Photoshop magic, then (laughs) he can play center. And if he plays center, then that really, really, really kind of unlocks their offense Uh, because, you know, the last few years, with guys like DeAndre and even going back at the last time I was on the podcast with y'all, I think Andrew Bogut was starting at center for the Mavs. I mean, they've had like, they've had big bodies that can get rebounds, but those guys haven't been able to shoot and stretch the floor on offense. And so uh, if Porzingis can be the guy that can protect the paint the same way he did in New York, blocking two, three shots a game and also shoot 35, 40% on threes and take like seven or eight or even nine of those per game here, then, uh, I mean, that really just kind of frees Luca up to do all of all of what he does. And it also helps save Porzingis' legs, right? I mean, like, you watch what he was doing in New York. He was posting up all the time in the triangle, and it was all mid-range, and he's banging and bruising and falling down and getting fouled. If he comes here and just plays at the three-point line and shoots, like, 10 threes a night, he could score 20 points without, like, moving, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it just makes it so much easier for him. So that's, like, the best-case scenario, I think, is that he – is big and strong and tough and can play five uh, on defense. And then on offense, he can just basically stand still, set screens for Doncic, and then just fire away. Yeah. I mean, on paper, the fit between those two guys is so perfect that, like, for everyone's sake, I genuinely hope that Kristaps is healthy, makes it through the full season, because that could be the foundation of something really special for 
frankly, like the next 10 years. Um, and more, so we have to, since we talked about Kristaps, now we have to talk about Luca, who both you and I, you know, we joke, or I joke, I guess, and always say, you know, he's too fat to play point guard, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, we were, that's you. Yeah, no, but we were both very high on him coming in into last year's draft. We both said he should have been the number one pick. Um, you know, we weren't concerned with the perception that he's fat, white, European, he can't play, whatever. Clearly, he proved that. He was a rookie of the year. He had a monster season. What do you expect from him now going into year two? Well, as a fellow fat European, obviously <laughs> I, I believe in him. Uh, no, I, I think he's he looks slimmer uh, this time around. And yep. uh, here's I want to actually just attack the Twitter sphere a little bit because I've seen way too many Luka Doncic has already peaked takes, which is just oh. ridiculous. Like the thing is, people look at his accomplishments for his rookie season and they think, oh, okay, he averaged 21, eight and six, which first of all is insane. And they think, where, where do you go from there? Now, I don't think you have to look at his numbers and go in terms of raw volume or the raw numbers. I think Luca is just going to refine his game as the years move on. Like maybe statistically, it's in the stratosphere of where he's going to end up during his prime. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the advanced metrics, in, in terms of his basketball IQ, I think he's only going to be exponentially better as he progresses. He's one of those guys who are insanely gifted at just playing the game, reading the game, and understanding the game. He's a basketball savant and a basketball genius for someone that age. So when you ask me about what he's got in store for the encore, I, I don't know. It's just something in, about him makes me believe that he's going to be one of those guys who by this year already maybe is just going to take control of games all by himself in a way where he controls the pace, knows full well what to do at what time, and just is one of those guys who can take over at any point that he wants to. That's what I'm looking for him to do. I have a feeling that instead of waiting for the usual like year five or year six where players get this sense of, oh, I feel the game is slowing down, I have a feeling this is going to reach him a lot faster than that. Yeah, I mean, he's been a pro for multiple years now. Not Exactly. You know, like, he was in the NBA for one year, but he's been playing professionally since 16, right? So, maybe, the, like, technically, this is year five already for him. Like, it, it would not be a surprise. And again, I think it comes back to having Kristaps there. Like, I think those two guys will make life easier on each other. Those two guys are the best teammates that both of them have had in the NBA. So, you know, having a seven foot three guy who can hit threes to dump off to is only going to make Luca better provided that Kristaps stays healthy. Um, but Bobby, the, the thing that gives me pause about the Mavericks with all due respect is that, you know, I love the Luca Kristaps. Like I love that as a core, but I look at the rest of the depth chart and I'm wondering where, else are they going to get impact from like who is going to be that guy that emerges as the number three scorer do they have enough front court depth so who are the complimentary guys that you're looking forward to seeing this year so i think unfortunately well i I let i'll start with the positive right i'm a more positive i guess optimistic person in general fortunately they have players who are very good at offense or are very good at defense but unfortunately the two-way thing is kind of where it gets um, – their options are kind of limited, right? The, like Maxi Kleba, for example, 
he is an unbelievable defender. I mean, like really, really good shot blocker, can step out and guard like he switches onto point guards and, and locks them down. I mean, he is really, really, really good defensively. But offensively, especially last year, his three-point percentage just fluctuated so much. I mean, he would have months where he'd be shooting 40 45%, and then he'd have months where he'd be shooting like 20 or 25 So, you know, can he consistently just hit threes? Can Dwight Powell become uh, the kind of defender, the kind of rebounder that can play against big guys – step out on the perimeter, kind of can, can Dwight Powell do the things on defense that Maxi Kaliba does, right? Mm-hmm. We know Dwight Powell is like the 100th percentile in half-court offense. He's a pick-and-roll dynamo. Uh, he is getting a little better at the three-point shot, but really his bread and butter is all about just lobs, 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 and they're going to be playing in space. But defensively, he's been kind of attacked over the course of his career. Now he's getting better, but he's got to take another leap, right? I think Powell and Maxi are going to kind of be battling for that starting spot. And then in the backcourt, it's kind of the same thing. Like DeLon Wright, the new free agent, uh, he's a really good defender, but offensively he struggled with a three-point shot. And then you have someone like Seth Curry, who is one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, but on defense, you know, can he consistently chase around ones and twos, which is what he's going to have to do here. So they have guys that are kind of like specialists, mm-hmm. Um I guess the, the, the question mark is which one of them or can can many of them kind of grow out of that sort of like really defined like role and excel at other things? Like, can you can you be more of a jack of all trade than just like a shot blocker or a rim runner or a guy who defends point guards? Like, what can you add to your game that can help Luke and KP do their thing? Because they're going to be awesome. I mean, obviously, they're both all star caliber players, but. You need someone, whether it's like Tim Hardaway Jr. or DeLon or someone like Dwight Powell or even like Jalen Brunson, who had he, he had a really nice rookie season last year. I mean, one or multiple of those guys going to have to step up and give you like 12 or 15 points a night just to kind of balance out and complement what Luke and Porzingis do. Yeah, exa- and that's kind of what I'm wondering is who is that third option. But, you know, it might just be kind of a committee thing. Like maybe they don't need – one guy to give them 15 points a night. Maybe it's Tim Hardaway one night, Seth Curry one night, DeLon Wright one night, you know, go on down the line. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's so from watching 82 games last season that the Mavs played, I mean, Luca, you knew pretty much what you were going to get from him every night, but a lot of the other guys on the team, whether it was, you know, inexperience or just general inconsistency. I mean, there was, there was a lot of ups and downs, right. With, with most of those guys. And that's kind of the knock against role players, I guess, in general. But, uh, I mean, last season, they only had one guy other than Luka that had 20 points in a game more than eight times. And that was Harrison Barnes. So mm. I don't think that you need someone that's going to give you, like, 18 or 20. But you need multiple guys that can give you at least 10. And you can't have, like, the 7 for 35 three-point shooting nights that they did. I mean, you got to have guys that can consistently come in and, like, give you 8 to 10. I don't know that you need... 15 or 18, like I mm-hmm. said, but I mean, you need like you need Seth Curry to hit two threes a game. You need DeLon Wright to have good months like consecutively. Uh, you know, they just Luca and Porzingis are really good, but they're not good enough to kind of like overcome just like tremendous inconsistency from everybody else on the team. Right, right. Well, luckily you joined the podcast that is Seth Curry's unofficial agent. So we have plenty of faith yes. in him. 
<laughs> we, yes. we have long been caping for him to get paid and we are very happy that someone finally did it and I mean I, I really do think he is going to be that kind of guy at least on offense but as you said the lack of two-way players is definitely a concern so what do you think is like a realistic ceiling for the Mavs this year do you think the playoffs are with are within reach or do you think they're more of like a mid-lottery team but it doesn't doesn't matter as long as Luca and Kristaps continue to build upon, or I guess start to build a relationship with one another. Yeah, I mean, if you ask like Mark Cuban, for example, and Rick Carlisle, like they they want playoffs, and mm-hmm. Luca wants playoffs. Like Luca spent his entire career in Madrid, winning you know championships, like multiple championships every season. So he's not trying to do the rebuilding thing anymore. Um, that said, I don't know that they can just take a shortcut right to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as a realistic ceiling, I mean. I guess that would mean Luca takes another leap and Porzingis stays healthy and they get some kind of nice, solid uh, performances from their tertiary guys, their secondary guys, and they win, I don't know, into into like the low to mid 40s, I think is a, a pretty good ceiling. I mean, like I kind of did the thing. I'm sure we all do this on the day that the schedule comes out. You print oh, yeah. it out <laughs> and you're like, all right, game by game. Let's go, baby. And yeah. I kind of did a couple runs through it. Like, first I was like, all right, I'm going to be as negative as possible. And then I was like, all right, let's kind of split the difference. And then the last time I did it, I was as optimistic as I could possibly be without knowing, of course, who's going to be maybe resting star players and who's going to be tanking and, you know, which teams are going to pull a trade. But mm-hmm. kind of the most optimistic uh, run through that schedule that I could get was like 44, 45 wins. Mm. Which should be, I would think, would be good enough to be at least like eighth or ninth. But yeah. uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really tough this year because, you know, the West is just, there are so many good teams that maybe they all just beat each other up. And that does mean that, you know, a mid 40s win team gets to sneak in as seventh, eighth, ninth seed, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's because the West is so tough it wouldn't be a surprise that like maybe the Mavericks miss out on the playoffs. Maybe they win like high thirties, but if they were in the East, they probably would have been a playoff team. And that's, that's okay too. Like from where I'm sitting, as long as Kristoff stays healthy, Luca continues to improve and just, you know, proves that last year wasn't a fluke. Even if he kind of just sustains what he did last year, that's, as you said, that's still an all-star caliber player. If, those two guys are really the key to this whole thing. So, you know, yeah, it'd be great to make the playoffs and it'd be great to, as you said, kind of go on a deeper run, skip steps as it were, but it's not the end of the world if they can't just because Luca and Kristaps are so young and because they have those guys under contract for so many more years. Like it's, it's okay to take incremental steps forward. And I think this year is just the first of many, hopefully where they'll be able to build around those two guys. Hope so. Yeah. Emerging technologies are transforming the healthcare industry as we know it. Investors, say hello to HTech, a portfolio dedicated to capturing the significant growth potential of healthcare innovation. Learn more at RoboGlobal.com slash HTEC. Hey, sports fans, football season is here, and the time has come for you and your friends to have some fun. MyBookie.net is the industry-leading sports action website that offers real Vegas odds on football. 
baseball, basketball, college, and all your favorite sports events. You can take a side, total, or try their in-game live action. Go to mybookie.net to open an account and use promo code CHAMPION to be entered into our amazing prize pool. That's mybookie.net promo code CHAMPION. Get in on the action today. No deposit is necessary. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void were prohibited. Uh... Let's move now to the Houston Rockets because they made one of the biggest moves of the summer, frankly. Um, once Kawhi and Paul George teamed up on the Clippers, that caused the Thunder to reevaluate their future. They were suddenly looking at just having Russell Westbrook and no one else. So they, Russ and they conferred, um, decided to go their separate ways. The Rockets trade for Russell Westbrook, they gave up Chris Paul, two first-round picks and two first-round pick swaps. Um, and now they're bringing together two of the highest usage guards in the league. So, Bobby, how do you see those two guys fitting together? I don't know. I've been thinking about this. I mean, since they made that trade, I just can't. And I'm sure they're going to figure it out, obviously. Like, James Harden is unbelievable. But... I can't picture the two of them on the floor together. Like, I, I have no idea what it's going to look like because Harden obviously is the ISO king, and Russ, I think, is really kind of at his best, like maybe pick and roll or maybe just empty the side of the floor and let him blow by the guy that he that's tr- guarding him. But I don't know. He takes so many of these mid-range pull-up shots, and the <laughs> three-point percentage really isn't there, and Houston is, like, you know, pounding that out of guys. So I don't know what Russ's shot profile is is going to look like because I don't think they want him taking 12 threes a game like Harden takes, but I know they don't want him taking 10, you know, 18 footers a game either. And that's kind of his sort of his bread and butter shot. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think if anything, um, it'll help Harden kind of take breaks last year, Chris Paul, you know, is kind of in and out of the lineup and uh, they staggered their minutes a lot, obviously, but even whenever he was out there, Harden was doing so much of the ball handling. And I think over the course of the year, even though he's averaging like 35 points a game, that just kind of wears you down. You know, Mm -hmm. we saw that kind of happen last year with Luka and Dallas. And so uh, if they can at least if they can find a way to figure out how to take turns and make it work, then they could be pretty good. But uh, I don't know. I'm really, really, really curious to see how it works out because Russ kind of like and this isn't an insult, he's an awesome player, but he kind of like represents everything that Houston has been trying to avoid doing for the last five years. <laughs> right. But if they can introduce that sort of ball of chaos into their offense and make it work, then they could be really tough to guard because there aren't many teams that have a guy that can guard Harden and Westbrook, you know? So it's kind right. of a, it could work. I don't know that it will, but it'll at least be really, really, really interesting. Yeah, um, Howard Beck of Bleacher Report just actually had a feature go live um, where he spoke with Harden, and Harden was kind of reflecting. I guess he just turned 30 the other week. Um, So he's starting to think kind of about his legacy and what he hopes to accomplish for the rest of his career, and he touched on the Russ, or the fit with Russ as well. Um, And, you know, he basically said, like, he's confident that they're going to figure it out. Um, as you noted, there are definite on-court concerns in terms of Russ's shot selection in particular. But uh, in that article, uh, in Beck's article, Daryl Morey, or he quoted Daryl Morey about, um, you know, they are tr- trying to manage Harden's workload a little bit more than they have in years past. Like Harden, since he got to Houston, has played more minutes than anyone in the NBA. 
over the past seven seasons. And we've seen it really the past couple of years where you get to the playoffs and it seems like he just runs out of steam. So having a guy like Russ, I don't know that they necessarily do the Kawhi plan where Harden misses 20 games intentionally. I don't think that's going to happen. But having a guy like Russ will allow them to dial his minutes back a little bit. Maybe he goes from like 36, 37 to 33, 34, even 35 over an 82 game season that adds up. Um, and then also he will have the opportunity to rest more strategically. Maybe he misses like six or seven games for rest. And now all of a sudden you have a guy in Russell Westbrook who also carried a team single-handedly a couple years ago, also won an MVP by averaging a triple-double a couple years ago. So it, I, I, it's almost like a backup plan to some extent just to keep Harden a little more fresh and rested throughout the regular season so he's ready to go come playoff time. But yeah, I mean, in terms of you know offense and defense, those guys don't necessarily fit perfectly together. So I think it's really the biggest question hanging over the Rockets is, does this thing work out? Or like this was the all-in push, I feel like. If this doesn't work, I don't know where they go from here. Yeah, I mean, that's an $80 million question. Right. It's a huge gamble, but... I don't know. I mean, I guess my question for y'all is like, had they not traded Paul for Russ, what what would they have done? Would they have held on to? Would they have? Were they gonna? If they say they had to trade him no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. Like Chris Paul was like, get me out of here, which I don't know. That may have been the case. I don't know. But say that happened, what what else could they have done? I don't know. I almost feel like they had to do this. Yeah. No, I, I I'm right with you. I mean, I. Both Russ and Chris Paul were widely considered untradeable, unless I guess you like you could trade for John Wall's contract. But their contracts are just so big; it's not that the players themselves they have value around the league, but on these gigantic supermax contracts, they you were probably having to give things up to get off of them. So effectively swapping them, and Houston did still have to give up a number of draft considerations. To get out of, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a fair point that they probably didn't really have, if the reports were true about, I think it was Chris Haynes or Vince Goodwill or someone from Yahoo who was, um, who broke the, the news of like <laughs> Chris Paul demanded the trade and Harden was like, it's either him or me. And, you know, the relationship was reportedly past the point of no repair. So if that's true, then yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the best they could have done. But, you know, if this does not work out, it would not surprise me if they're looking back in a year and thinking like, damn, man, the Warriors just imploded. You know, they lost Kevin Durant free agency. Clay Thompson's going to miss a bunch of the year. That was our big hurdle for the last five years. It was the Golden State Warriors. They've knocked us out. Yeah. So like, would we, had we just run the same team back? You know, it's similar to the Raptors this past year. Like the Raptors kept running into LeBron James in the playoffs and people kept clamoring for them to blow it up and to some extent they did with you know with the DeMar and Kawhi trade which paid off in dividends but you know there there's probably going to be the question of like could the would the Rockets have been the front runners in the West had they just done nothing this summer just re-signed all their guys and otherwise did Pat well no because the Clippers exist (laughs) right (laughs) there is that there is that 
Um, Mort, I want to ask you, Clint Capella is kind of the other big name on this Rockets roster. And you know, for a while, we've kind of, he, he's just been pigeonholed because he was playing with Harden, who just dribbles the ball for 20 seconds and then shoots a step back three. Do you think there are ways they can maximize Capella more than they have? You know, just give him the ball a little bit more? <laughs> Instead <laughs> of watching James easy? Harden dribble 36 times before launching into a what will be one-footed step-back three-pointer? Yeah. 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 No, I, yeah, I mean, look, they're using him primarily as a lob threat. Um, I, I do think it would benefit him a little bit to, to get more of an established post game. And I get that, you know, the post up in today's league is, is very old fashioned, but just having that counter or, or that option to go to, mm-hmm. um, that, that would be pretty good. Um, I, I do think that in terms of his statistical production, it's probably been maximized. I mean, he's running the floor, he's getting lobs, he's shooting, what, in the high 60s of the field goal percentage? I'm, I don't have any numbers in front of me. My entire computer just crashed, so I'm even afraid to open Chrome. He was um, at 64.8% last year, averaged 16.6 points, 12.7 rebounds, 1.5 yeah. blocks. That's a lot of points. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. He had, have you noticed that both um, Capella and Rudy Gobert, they're getting up there in points per game? Like yeah. they're actually becoming more of a legitimate offensive weapons now, which is very intriguing. In, in terms of Capella, I, I just the thing is, if you make him more of a nuanced offensive player and, and a guy who doesn't need to be assisted assisted as much, that efficiency probably goes down a little bit, and you have mm-hmm. to wonder if you can sacrifice that. With Westbrook in town now, I don't think you can sacrifice efficiency anywhere else, because <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean. He's going to be a, a somewhat high volume, probably low efficiency player. So you need to maximize efficiency all around that. And if that just means that Capella needs to dive to the basket like 16 more times a game, then so be it. But I would like for him personally to become a, a more multifaceted offensive player. Yeah, well, I think. I, like, I oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bobby. Oh, uh, appreciate it. Uh, one thing that that Harden and Chris Paul kind of have in common, I think, is they're more of like sort of like these picking and probing kind of drivers, right? Mm-hmm. Like they'll go into the lane and sort of like kind of keep one eye sort of looking in the corner. Or they'll, you know, mix in a bunch of crossovers, step backs and stuff. Like Russ is the total opposite to where whenever he comes off a screen, he's going to literally throw himself at the basket. Yeah. And that alone could help get Capella some more touches just because, yeah. I mean, like he's Russ isn't going to try and like dribble around your wall. He's just going to like blow through it. And so, uh, I mean, if as long as Capella's hands are ready, like he might have a few extra dunks a game that he might not get had it been Harden or Paul that was handling the ball because they're kind of like they play a little slower. So I think yeah. that might be able to help him a little bit. Also, yeah. just offensive rebounding with with Russell Westbrook. That was hard to say. Comes many more misses. That's <laughs> a lot more offensive rebounding chances right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bobby, you took the words out of my mouth. I was gonna say like I think the different style of play with Russ versus Harden you know Russ is going to be more adept at that pick and roll game where it is just kind of brute force your way to the rim so yeah it would not surprise me if this is the best Capella we've seen just because of he's playing with Russ and Russ is I mean he had Steven Adams in OKC who is similarly offensively limited like OKC is not asking him to pull up for a bunch of mid-range two-pointers they want him to basically just run to the basket 
jump high and dunk whenever Russ throws it up to him. So I could see Capella filling that role as well. Uh, when I was looking over the Rockets, I guess because this summer was just so wild, it's like hard to even keep track of the big names who switch teams. I was looking over, I'm like, oh my God, Anthony Bennett is on the Rockets now. <laughs> Bobby, do you think there's any chance that Anthony Bennett like pans out for them and actually turns into a rotation player? Did you know that he shot 45% on threes last year in the G League? Did yeah. he really? On like four and a half or five attempts a game. I mean, I had no idea that he did that. And then I looked, and the previous year, he also shot like 42 or 43%. And then the year before that, I think he was like high 30s. I mean, if he can really shoot, like, and, and again, this is no slight. I know the Mavs and the Rockets have a rivalry, so like we like to make fun of each other. But unless you're Harden or Russ in Houston, you you pretty much just kind of like stand around. And <laughs> right. so if Bennett can catch and shoot and hit like 40%, then yeah, I mean, I think there will definitely be minutes to be had. Last year, guys like Daniel House and Gary Clark made an impact on the Rockets. I mean, Bennett is can be every bit as good as those guys. Personally, I hope he is because I, I don't like busts. It breaks my heart whenever guys get picked high and just don't perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hope that he is good. I hope he's not good enough to help them be better than the Mavs, of course. But uh, <laughs> I, I I, mean, sure, if he can shoot like that, I mean, 45% over a whole season. And in the G League, I think he only played like 28 or 30 games or something. So it wasn't a huge sample size. But, I mean, that's like that's a pretty good clip. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if he can reinvent himself as just a 3 and D option or even just a 3 option. Yeah, just a 3 option, man. Yeah, just like fill a niche rather than, you know, he's always going to have that number one pick label on him. But I think at this point, that ship has so far sailed that he's not coming in with the expectation of, oh, I'm going to be a 20 point, 10 rebound kind of guy. It's like, all right, just if you get a roster spot, that's great. And then anything else you give us is gravy. But I'm excited to see him back at the NBA, and I hope he does make it onto this Rockets roster just to see what he can bring to the table. Um, so more, it, it ultimately leads to the question, you know, we don't know how Russ and Harden are going to fit. We don't know what Capella brings to the table with those two guys. But do you think now that the Warriors are, have taken a step back, they're not totally out of the way, but they're at least not, you know, the world crushing Warriors that they were over the past few years. Do you think this Rockets team has a chance to make it to the finals this year? No. <laughs> Wow, that was fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I make it a priority. Yeah, partly Westbrook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, part, partly uh, look at what they're up against, man. Yeah. I mean, the, the Denver Nuggets, the Utah Jazz, the Los Angeles Clippers, the Los Angeles Lakers. Everything has to go absolutely right for Houston to make to, to make the finals here. I, I, I get that they upgraded the roster in terms of talent because, look, I, I totally agree that Russell Westbrook in terms of talent – is, a, is an upgrade from Chris Paul, who's, what, 34 at this point. Totally get that. But you, they don't have as many components moving around as many of the other teams. Like they're, they're, There's not the same level of depth. And the way that these teams have been structured, I mean, look at just the Clippers. I love the Clippers, just so people know. But they have great depth. They have two super-duper stars. They have complementary starters who should fit around those players you know, seamlessly. Then we go to... Uh, the Lakers, where LeBron James and Anthony Davis is, 
that's just a devastating combination that 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 i would take that duo out of houston's trio any time any day of the week mm-hmm. um and then utah just with the depth and with the defense uh, i mean is there a team built better to take care of houston defensively in the playoffs i i'm not sure I, I, they would have a a huge leg up in that regard and they've gotten better offensively and who am i forgetting denver denver with the depth and the, and the passing and with the star-studded starting five, I mean, that's just such. There are so many opponents that Houston would have to go through, and I just don't see deem it likely. And I haven't even brought up Portland, so yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I, I don't, I don't see it. I really don't see it. Bradley they're gonna Wade. need, they're gonna need Russ to be really, really, really good, and for Harden to be basically almost, if not as good as he was last year. Yeah probably to even get out of the first round. I mean, like, those four teams alone that you said, Utah, Denver, L.A., and L.A., I mean, I don't know how Houston could beat them in a play. I don't know how anybody in the West beats those guys in a playoff series, let alone Houston or any. I mean, anyone else, Golden State or any of those guys, Portland. Uh, I mean, if there's any drop-off at all from Harden, and I know guys, some guys' peaks last forever. I mean, like, mm-hmm. Dirk played the entire 2010s, basically, at an all-star level until the very, very end. Uh Maybe Harden's age 30 season is really, really good, but if it's like two or three points per game worse than it was last year, and if Russ, you know, can't really get it going from deep, then I don't know where they get the offense to beat these teams. Because defensively, I think they're probably not going to be as good this year as they were last year. Uh, You know, with losing Paul for Westbrook, I think is probably a downgrade. So I don't know. I I, I don't know if they can beat – I don't know if they can win a series, really. I mean, if both teams are healthy. You guys clearly have not talked to Daryl Morey because in that Howard Beck article, he said, according to their advanced analytics, they have a 30% higher chance of winning or making it to the finals now or winning the finals, one of the two. Seriously? Uh, yeah, now that they traded for us. <laughs> I mean, I like advanced numbers, but that's that's ridiculous. Just I'm just saying, if, yeah. if the computer tells you, you uh, it'll be, no, I, I'm with you, though. I, I think it's an uphill battle regardless just because of how deep the West is. I think they're they're in that mix for sure. But yeah, it's hard to see them making it through three of those teams. Yeah, but a computer also once won me an NBA championship with Tyus Jones and Trevor Reese as my best players in NBA 2K. So you know what? Mm. That seems possible too. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't sound outrageous. I mean, that- no. Heads up, denim lovers. Old Navy's biggest denim sale ever is here. All jeans are on sale up to 60% off. Styles start at just 12 bucks for adults, 8 bucks for kids. Plus, this Saturday and Sunday only, don't miss the Gina Day giveaway. Want a free pair of Old Navy's all-new jeans? Stop in for your chance to win and for up to 60% off all jeans. Now at Old Navy. Valid 916 to 924. Excludes in-store clearance. Five per day per store. Select styles. Jean giveaway in stores only. See stores for details. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys, let's move on to the Memphis Grizzlies. And Bobby, the, much like the Thunder are adjusting to life after Russell Westbrook, the Grizzlies have to adjust to life after Mike Conley 
family when they traded him to the Utah Jazz. Uh, they when they got the number two pick, you know, Zion was going number one, who we'll talk about shortly. No, number two was going to be John Morant, the Murray State point guard, and that kind of sent the signal of you know Mike Conley's time in Utah was probably or in Memphis was about up so how do you think they transition from that Conley era to John Morant what do you expect to see out of him this year man I don't know I mean I think they're set up really well without Conley having two guys in Morant and Jaron Jackson who are both potential future stars uh I mean Jaw is like he seems like he could be the automatic triple double guy triple double <laughs> guy easy for me to say uh I mean big time scorer uh, he's long. I, I, I just, he's really good. I think he's really good. He's going to get what he was averaged 25 and 10 in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and point guards now are able to make kind of an instant impact in the NBA because the rules are just a little more lax. I mean, guys like Trey and Luca last year were really good. I don't see why Jaw can't be almost as effective as they were, uh, or at least as productive. I mean, you know, he's going to get the minutes because getting rid of Conley and then DeLon Wright leaving, I know they got Tyus Jones too, but like you can play Jaw and Tyus together. I think ultimately this year for Memphis is kind of about keeping Jaron on the floor because him missing that huge chunk of last year kind of sucked. But yeah. if if John and Jaron can stay on the floor and play like 30, 35 minutes a game and just get used to each other and then they add another guy next year, then all of a sudden they're like they're off and running. So um, it was beautiful to watch Marcus all win the championship last year. And then that Conley quote the other day, I forget where I saw it. Uh, he w- did some like charity event in in Memphis, and uh, they asked about you know his trade to Utah, and he said like part of me wanted to make sure that Memphis was taken care of too in the deal, mm. like make sure they get young guys back, and make sure whenever they get rid of Mark that they get young guys back, and like grit and grind came to an end kind of so quickly and so quietly, but man, it's gonna live on forever in our hearts. I mean, how can you <laughs> not be happy for those guys? So. Uh, I'm rooting for Memphis. I mean, they got a lot of interesting players. I love Jaron Jackson coming out of the draft last year. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, if, if Luka didn't come through for the Mavs, I hope that Jaron would. He's, I think he's great. Uh, and Jaw is going to be, he could be spectacular. Um, but, I mean, we'll see. I, I, think they're, I think they're set up pretty good. I mean, if, if nothing else, I think sometimes, you know, whenever stars leave teams, there's kind of like this void. I mean, it's almost kind of like, like Wade in Miami, for example. Mm-hmm. Once Wade left the first time, and now he's he's leaving again too. I mean, just kind of like in the wake. If if you don't have a couple young guys or like a couple stars, I mean, I guess now they have Jimmy Butler. But before, they just didn't really have like there was kind of just this void. Like, what are we gonna do for a couple years? We're gonna wait to see if anyone else comes along. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those guys have already come along in Memphis, so you can kind of go from grit and grind right into the next generation. Man, let's kick it off. We got two teenagers in here that are going to be, you know, kicking ass for 10, 15 years together. Yeah. Yeah. So let's more, let's talk about Jaron Jackson Jr., the other half of that yeah. JJJ equation. Um, as Bobby mentioned, he missed a good chunk of his rookie season, which did suck. But, I mean, the kid, I think he was the youngest kid in his draft class last year, so he's still super young, still a very high ceiling. What do you expect to see out of him this year? Oh, just improvements across the board. This is an insanely bright big man. Uh, and, and usually it takes a lot of years for big men to get acclimated to the league. I mean, this is a guy, I think he just turned 20, right? Who who had tremendous success as a rookie. And it, this is like a 5-2 player. Like, he can block shots. He can rebound. He's actually a, somewhat a depth passer. He can shoot from deep. He can go to the hole. 
He can handle. Like, he's just got so many tools to go to. And now that he has John Moran next to him, who's going to get him a lot of easy baskets, you know, that's that's one area where he might not have to concern himself a whole lot. Like maybe he's just going to get a bunch of points and he's going to go, oh, OK, look, I, I know that I have that avenue now with John the floor, meaning I can actually assert myself more defensively. I can actually become this shot blocking presence and, and weak side defender and really try to establish myself as one of the game's true two way bigs, which is a tremendous luxury for for Memphis, especially with Brandon Clark coming in as well. I mean, they could go back to maybe not the grid and grind era because the grid and grind era was also filled with a lot of 80 point games, but <laughs> a more up-tempo grid and grind uh, era where uh, Jackson and, and Moran, you know, combined to put up, I don't know, like 40, 45 points a game. That would be tremendous overall. Yeah. It, it would not surprise me at all if they have a transition from Conley Gasol and Zach Randolph too, who were the three, you know, key pieces of the Grit and Grand Grizzlies with Tony Allen, too. Um, now they have John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and then Brandon Clark, who slipped on draft day because of concerns about his age and, you know, his wingspan wasn't ideal. But, you know, the kid comes out in summer league and looks like an absolute stud. And all of a sudden you're looking at him and his fit next to Jaron Jackson Jr., and you're thinking, like, oh, my God, the Grizzlies have their front court of the future, and they assembled it in two years. So uh, he, he should be a stud. He's what, 23? <laughs> yeah, but like he's ready to go right away. He's, I mean, you know, who would you rather have, him or Ray Hachimura? No, for sure. But, but I mean, I'm just saying like he should be ready to go at that age. Oh, but that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, so Bobby, what do you expect to see out of, out of Brandon Clark this year? Well, it made me very mad, first off, that he fell on draft night because obviously as an NBA Twitter card carrying member, <laughs> like, I think it's pretty safe to say everyone knew that Brandon Clark was going to be good, right? And, like, yeah. he just kept not going drafted. And uh, one thing that's kind of always bothered me about the draft, now that I'm just in the, I'm in the complaining zone, is why is, like, a 22-year-old untouchable all of a sudden? Like, we, we don't want to go anywhere near him. Like, give me the teenager. I, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, if the dude is 21, 22, and you know he's going to be great... Like, talk to me in five years whenever your 19-year-old is 24 and still hasn't hit yet, and I'll have Brandon Clark, who's already, like, super polished as a rookie. Like, I, I right. just – I don't get it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, him and Jaron Jackson together, like, that's two of the best young defensive bigs in the league, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and they've only played a combined, what, 40, 50 games? Uh, and then you get Jaws length in there, too, and he's a super freak athletically. I mean, they could be – a defensive force or we'll talk about new Orleans in a second and they could be too. But I mean, dude, like that defensive core of Clark and Jaron, where they can both play really kind of two through four, two through five defensively. Uh, I mean, that's so they could, they could guard little guys and guard big guys, but they both block shots. They're both switch. I mean, they're really, really, really kind of like the prototypical modern big men defensively. And then offensively, if, uh, if Jaron, you know, becomes kind of the, the really, really nice three-point shooter that we all thought he'd be coming out of Michigan State, then they're set, too. I mean, like, I know they got Jonas Valanciunas playing center now, and they gave him, like, a, a pretty nice sum of money this summer. So they'll be playing five for them. But Clark coming off the bench, I think, is really good, too, because you could play Clark with Jonas and be great. You could play mm-hmm. Clark with Jaron and be good. I mean, they're, like... I'm very envious of the core that they have. This is coming from a guy that works for a team that has Luke and KP. I mean, like, <laughs> right. dude, Jaron and Jaw together. I mean, that's going to be, like, the Southwest is so set up. And with New Orleans, too, 
Yeah. It just it really drives me crazy though that Memphis was able to get him specifically because Memphis already has Jackson and Morant. They were able to get Clark too, basically for free. I mean, I, where did he go? Like 18th or 19th or something? I think he was 21st, yeah. right? That late. Yeah, I mean, that's late, a yeah. crime. That yeah. is a oh, crime. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm very upset about it. I'm a little tender right now, so, <laughs> so sorry. You you yeah, raised yeah, a good yeah, point. Was... You raised a good point about Valanciunas because both Jaron. And Brandon Clark can play next to him as well. So that's going to unlock so many front quarter opportunities for them. Like, that's a three man duo that can at least, well, Brandon's not a polished scorer, but he's not inept offensively. That's a three people at the very least who can board and who can score, and two of which can be game changing defenders already. So Memphis, I feel, is in a very, very sweet spot. And Jonas is still young, right? He's only, what, like 25 or something? Yeah, I think he's 27. 27? But, but wow. still, he's... Time but flies, he, he, Yeah, it does. But he's still so productive, though. Like, this dude almost averaged, what, a double-double in just under a half after reaching Memphis or something like that? It was insane. Mm. Like, and, and, you know, this bothers me. Like, you mentioned the draft stuff, and I completely agree with you. What bothers me is, like, people look at these productive centers, and they go, oh, well, you know, he can't... Sh- he, he's not, like, a 45% shooter on high volume... That means we can't even play him at all. Like Jonas Valanciunas is an efficient player, an efficient scorer who, given the minutes, can give you 20 points and 10 plus rebounds, and not necessarily be, you know, a a bad defensive player. But what he gives you is high efficiency, both from the line and from the field, a lot of rebounds and a lot of scoring. Like since when is that not valuable? I think yeah. we've kind of reached the point where it becomes ridiculous. Like the big bigs have to have like everything. Like they, they must not have a weakness to be able to hit the floor. That's, that's just, yeah. It's kind of like an overcorrection in the other direction. But I mean, you can have like, even if Valanciunas isn't the quickest and like fleetest of foot guy. I mean, I really think that like big men have to be able to defend guards, but really kind of only in the playoffs. I mean, how often during the regular season, do your big men like consistently get cooked one-on-one against a guard? I mean, you're just not going to put them in that position. Now, it makes it a little easier defensively whenever you can do that, but that's where having guys like Clark and Jaron Jackson help you so much because then you can just construct your defense so that Valanciunas is never in that position to begin with. So I think like if they had him and then someone else who was kind of immobile at the four, then it would be an issue, but... Because you have kind of these young, real like defensive hybrid shot blocker guys that can help support him and kind of cover up for his shortcomings, like the Mavs did with Dirk for so many years, really. I mean, like it, it kind of like erases that as a problem. And then everything that he gives you offensively is just a huge bonus because, I mean, he's able to give you like 15, 18, 20 points a night pretty easily. And you yeah. know who we haven't even touched on? Ivan Rapp. He's an interesting player, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And he's really productive as well. I mean, I, I really like this kid. He's only 22 as well, so there's there's still time. And people kind of write him off as a scrub, but he's, really, he's not. He's really good. I mean, he provides valuable bench minutage. And if he just gets a little bigger, improves the defense a smidge, like that's a fourth big right there who can come in and actually have a positive effect on a basketball game. And well, then the great slow-mo that you can put at four if you need to, too. Yeah, sure. And that kind of leads to my my last question about the Grizz, Mort. Do wins and losses matter for this team this year, or should they just be focused on 
you know, getting John Morant acclimated to the NBA, getting a full season out of Jaron Jackson, seeing what Brandon Clark can provide and who he fits best with. I think it, it has to be layered into priorities, right? I mean, absolutely, the main priority is experience, and these guys need to play together and, and just figure each other out. But, you know, we, we've talked about this with other teams as well who are young, where we say, oh, it doesn't matter about the wins and losses, and I agree to an extent. At the same time, you also want these kids to experience success on a certain level as soon as possible for them to really understand, oh, okay, this is what it takes to win. And I I think for Memphis in particular, because they're playing in such a tough conference, getting wins would be so valuable for them. Just seeing, oh, okay, we actually beat the Clippers tonight. Oh, we actually pulled one out against the Nuggets. That would be so big for their collective confidence and their their general uh improvements so I, I do think that comes in as a as a second priority honestly I, I think they should go out and see if they can get some good wins uh yeah. i think it needs to be a priority to go out and see if they can actually be competitive and then honestly that's the most important thing if they just hang on in games and they don't you know fold within the last 10 minutes just stay in games be competitive and if you're if you're beaten because of someone having, you know, a lot of experience or their superstars or whatever, take that. That's fine. Just remain competitive. Make the kids understand what it takes to win. That's that's definitely important. Yeah, I think it's really as long as they're not chasing wins at the expense of developing the kids. Like Agreed. I, they should not be playing, you know, veterans over their young guys for 35 minutes a game necessarily. Like Jeremy right. Jackson Jr., John Morant, Brandon Clark all need to see the floor a lot. If they win with those guys playing critical roles, great. But yeah, I mean, my my whole idea with them is just like, you know, they're, it, I, I feel the same way about a lot of rebuilding teams. You just, you know, you can't chase wins just for the sake of, oh, well, we stole a regular season game. Well, okay, but did you do it in a meaningful way? Did you have the guys who are going to be a part of your organization contributing significantly to those wins? Or were you playing veterans who are not going to factor in at all? Oh yeah, no, no. They shouldn't at all play like veterans 35 minutes a game just to prove a point. That that <laughs> right. would be ridiculous. No, I'm, I'm definitely saying that within the context of playing the young guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, sports fans, football season is here, and the time has come for you and your friends to have some fun. MyBookie.net is the industry-leading sports action website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, basketball, college, and all your favorite sports events. You can take a side, total, or try their in-game live action. Go to MyBookie.net to open an account and use promo code CHAMPION to be entered into our amazing prize pool. That's MyBookie.net promo code CHAMPION. Get in on the action today. No deposit is necessary. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void were prohibited. Heads up, denim lovers. Old Navy's biggest denim sale ever is here. All jeans are on sale up to 60% off. Styles start at just 12 bucks for adults, 8 bucks for kids. Plus, this Saturday and Sunday only, don't miss the Gina Day giveaway. Want a free pair of Old Navy's all-new jeans? Stop in for your chance to win and for up to 60% off all jeans. Now at Old Navy. Valid 916 to 924. Excludes in-store clearance. Five per day per store. Select styles. Jean giveaway in stores only. See stores for details. So, guys, let's go from one promising young core to another in New Orleans. And obviously the big story with them is Zion Williamson. We did not get to see very much of him 
during summer league. He suffered the the knee injury and then caused an earthquake shortly thereafter. <laughs> um, so you know his his summer league debut was cut short. So Bobby, what do you think are realistic expectations for Zion heading into his rookie year? Oh man, I don't know. Having witnessed up close Luca's rookie season last year and being like, I don't know how anybody could top that. I mean, I think Zion is the kind of guy that could potentially top it, right? Yeah. Uh, like, Luca last year was just an absolute tour de force offensively. Well, Zion can do a lot of really awesome stuff on offense, and he also could be, oh, yeah, like one of the best defenders in the NBA, too. So uh, I think with him, I mean, he's, he's already such a high IQ player, too. It's not like... He relies on his athleticism, but he also knows exactly what he's doing all the time. So he already seems like a just a really, really, I don't know, like polished, solid player, kind of like Luca. And so I don't know what to expect in terms of production. I guess it depends on kind of how everybody else fits in in New Orleans because there are some kind of like interesting pieces that may or may not fit all together cleanly. But, um, man, I mean, I'm expecting to see and really hoping to see uh, 19, 20 year old Zion, who is already able to impact winning as a young big, which is really, 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 really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like young guards like Ja in Memphis this season, for example. I mean, there's going to be times where he just doesn't have it on the night where he just gets dominated by his opponent. That happens to an even like more intense degree, I think, to young big men because the the learning curve is so steep. But for Zion, I'm not sure what kind of learning curve there's going to be because he's already so good and he's so physically, obviously physically fit. And uh, the the IQ is there on offense and on defense, too. I mean, he's just he's incredible. He's spectacular. So I really think that kind of like he is obviously going to be very good. Uh, and Drew Holiday is going to be very good. I think the question for for his own success and I guess the team success relies more on like how Lonzo and Ren and Ingram and those guys fit in. Mm-hmm. Um than it does on his own game because I think he's already so good uh, and can do so many things that I just I don't see how it doesn't work out for him. Yeah. Can, can I I have to ask this. I really have to because this is just the perfect time. If Luca and Sion were in the same draft, you don't have all the the, the PER stats oh, from college because Luca obviously was international, right? Yeah. Like, who do you go with? You have the guy from Europe where you don't really have, you know, the same extensive numbers that you can put up. It, you know, to, what did Sion have? Like a PER 41 at Duke or something? <laughs> something, yeah, something yeah. And that you can't really compare the the competitiveness because obviously Luca played in a better league. So, like, there's so many moving things, moving factors that you have to take in to, to like that. But who do you go with? Do you go with Sion or do you go with Luca? I personally, I'm leaning Luca. Gotta admit it. But. I know yeah, about you. I mean, so from like a purely a poetry standpoint, Luca, because Luca and Dirk and that whole kind of the European influence thing. But man, I don't know. I mean, Zion's really good uh, and projects, obviously, this is all kind of hypothetical still at this point, sort of uh, projects to be really good offensively and defensively from day mm. one. Uh, and if you think of like if you're ranking the the most important kind of like archetypes that you want from a player in the in today's NBA, Either number one or number two is going to be a ball handling wing who can who can make plays and create his own shots. Right. And then either number one or number two is going to be a big guy that can defend every position. So I I don't really I don't know. I guess it comes down to personal preference. But I I think having already seen Luca play really well in the NBA, 
Um, I'm more biased, obviously, so I would say him. But if it was like this summer and I had to make the choice between Luke and Zion, I really don't know. I think I'd kind of be happy to be second. So that way, if <laughs> I, there, there's like I couldn't choose the wrong guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I I would think most general managers would take Zion, but I, I mean I wonder. It's a, almost a fair question. Like, even if you have Luca's rookie season as a data point, would they still take Zion over? Him? That's where it gets real interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I don't know the answer to that question. I would think there would still be some GMs who would take. Zion over Luca, despite the data, at least saying like you know Luca's game translated. We still we're we're projecting with Zion. We don't know. We hope, but we don't right. know. And mm-hmm. you know, to David Griffin's credit, he has been trying to tamp down the expectations because he knows Zion is like one of the most hyped draft draft prospects since Anthony Davis, if not the most hyped since Anthony Davis. So he didn't want all of that pressure to fall on Zion, and he. You know, right after the draft, he said, you know, look, at some point, this is going to be Zion's team. Right now, it's Drew Holiday's team. Like, we don't need Zion to be our immediate savior. We have a lot of depth now, and Mm -hmm. we have a star in Drew Holiday, you know, a guy who made an all-star game and who's played at an all-star caliber level, even though he's not made the team. Like, he's still a top 25 player in this league. We don't need Zion to be... You know, this 20, we don't need him to replace Anthony Davis single-handedly. We can just let him grow at his own pace. And, you know, we have the backup to support him in the meantime. Um, so more that leads into the, who that supporting cast. And, you know, the other big move, aside from drafting Zion this summer, that the Pelicans made, obviously, was trading Anthony Davis for a boatload of draft picks, but also Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart. Um, we just got word from ESPN's Andrew Lopez that Ball and Ingram are both participating in off-season workouts. They've been full go. Um, you know, Ingram missed the end of the season with that deep vein thrombosis, and then Ball had the ankle injury, so it sounds like both guys are over their respective ailments. Do you think there's a chance that both of those guys turn in career years in New Orleans now that they're out of the spotlight in LA not having to deal with LeBron James subtweets every day like just being allowed to kind of fit in more organically with the team that that could lead to more success for them I mean it wouldn't be hard for Alonzo Ball to have a career year because so far his (laughs) career has been pretty bad uh, Brandon Ingram is the one I'm looking at Uh, and it, it was blood clots he had right yeah yeah, which is kind of scary. So that needs to be absolutely monitored all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, but Penting, like full health, he seems primed to have a breakout season. He was kind of getting to it, I feel like. He just needs to up the threes a little bit more because the shot is there. That's the that's the weirdest thing, by the way. We haven't really spent enough time to talk about that. Like Brandon Ingram has a very good release. He has a, a three-point shot that he just doesn't utilize. If that is being opened up for in New Orleans... I, I think that opens up his entire game. As for Ball, I mean, it's just a question of getting away from L.A., I feel like. And not just mm-hmm. the, the organization, getting away from his, you know, Voldemort as well. And <laughs> right. and and just basically carving out his own identity, I feel like. It's getting away from the big baller brand and the entire Ball family. I think that's going to be huge. Um, I think in, in terms of their roles, it's it's 
it's probably going to be difficult to, to carve those out immediately. I do think Brandon Ingram starts. I'm not so sure with Ball. I would probably go, you know, Drew Holiday uh, at the one, JJ Redick at the two, because that team still needs shooting. They don't have a lot of shooting. Um, Ingram at the three, Sion obviously at the four, and then Derek Favors at the five. Because I, I, on that team, you need a proper mix of both veterans and rookies. You can't just start the entire young core and, and go with Redick and, and Favors off the bench, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you need to kind of have someone on the court who can go, you know, take some of the guys away and just say, hey, look, on next possession, do this and do that. Uh, so that's that's the starting unit I would use. And then maybe that actually frees up ball to come off the bench and have some responsibility. Like, OK, you're leading the second unit. Let's start off slow. You're you're, you're full charge. You have the green lights to do whatever the hell you want here in the second unit where you play with Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander Walker and Josh Hart and whoever. That could be interesting to me. Yeah, Bobby, I was going to ask you the same question about the starting lineup because, you know, not even counting Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Josh Hart, they really have six guys who you could feasibly start. Lonzo, Holiday, Ingram, Williamson, Favors, and Redick. So do you emulate Mort's starting lineup, move Lonzo to the bench, and put J.J. Redick as your starting two? Or which way would you go with that? I like Mort's idea of starting Redick and, and bringing Lonzo off just because, I mean, man, between Zion and Favors, like, you need some shooting. So mm-hmm. I, I like introducing Redick because while one of those guys is working pick and roll with Holiday, Redick can kind of be running off them, you know, on the other side of the floor. And that just kind of balances out the court a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, do you have the – not that Lonzo is going to, like, force his way into the starting lineup, but, I mean, he was a main kind of – he was a main piece of the trade for the best player in franchise history. Like, are you going to trade for this guy and then bring him off the bench? I, I don't know if you have the, I guess the chutzpah to do that for lack of a better word, but I think that would be kind of what's best for the team. And then Lonzo comes in off the bench and just totally changes like the dynamic of the game because mm-hmm. I mean, he hasn't been the, just the superstar prospect that he kind of looked like he could be at some points coming out of UCLA, but he can still run the floor he can still really, really defend. I mean, he's like a really, really good defender. And uh, he's dangerous in transition, and he's really good at finding lob guys. I mean, guys like Zion. So I want him playing on the floor with Zion, and I want him out there with Redick where they can run and he could find him coming off screens with passes and stuff. But um, maybe maybe he is kind of best served as that sixth-man role. He can come in and play against backups when the game is just kind of a little loose a little more loose where you can uh, kind of exploit mismatches and sort of like tough matchups for your opponent and push the ball in transition and all that stuff. Um, but I mean, also from a perspective of putting him in the starting lineup, I'm kind of intrigued by the option of him and holiday starting together, just like defensively that backcourt would be so strong. Mm-hmm. And with Ingram Zion and favors, that's a lot of length in the front court. I mean, it could be really, really hard to score on that group. So um, where Redick provides a lot of offense, I think Lonzo provides a lot of really interesting defensive and transition uh, possibilities to where it's a tough choice. But yeah, I mean, I think if I was if I was really trying to make the playoffs like they are this year, I think that I would probably start with Redick and bring Lonzo off the bench as long as that didn't create any like you know huge problems off the floor, basically. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot for Alvin Gentry to consider and. There's a possibility that that changes on a game-to-game basis. Maybe he looks at who they're matched up against, and if they're going 
a team that isn't going to shoot them out of the gym. They can go with Lonzo and Drew in the starting lineup because they don't need shooting as much. But if it's going to be an up and down, you know, kind of like going against a team like Denver, maybe you do have to have Redick in there just so you can keep up with them. Whereas, you know, against a team like Utah, at least Utah of years past, where, you know, you figured first to like 95 wins, then maybe a favorite defense. So it'll be interesting to see where they land there. But Mort, do you think this team, you know, has a chance of making the playoffs despite how deep the West is this year? I mean, let's put it this way. J.J. Redick was on Sack Lowe's podcast where they talked about that Redick has never missed the playoffs. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I'm kind of personally... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> invested in, in that record like, um, so so that's definitely on the agenda for him but he, but he he actually said that he was he had been made aware that the, the kids would play so oh. that that does suggest that wins does not uh, is not the main priority and in a loaded western conference wins have to be a priority for you to make the playoffs i cannot imagine that if you decide to play the kids and you actually go into a season thinking development before wins in this <laughs> in this Western Conference, that you get in. So yeah. because of that, I'm going to say no, and then I'm going to say so sorry, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> Into an era, man. Yep. RIP. RIP to that streak. Heads up, denim lovers. Old Navy's biggest denim sale ever is here. All jeans are on sale up to 60% off. Styles start at just 12 bucks for adults, 8 bucks for kids. Plus, this Saturday and Sunday only, don't miss the Gina Day giveaway. Want a free pair of Old Navy's all-new jeans? Stop in for your chance to win and for up to 60% off all jeans. Now at Old Navy. Valid 916 to 924. Excludes in-store clearance. Five per day per store. Select styles. Jean giveaway in stores only. See stores for details. Let's finish up, guys, with the San Antonio Spurs, who, you know, really the theme of the Western Conference, aside from Houston, is like every team has a really promising young foundation, and the Spurs aren't going to jump to mind when you think of that. But if you look at their their backcourt with Derek White and DeJounte Murray, those two guys are studs. So I want to talk, I want to briefly hit on both of those first. So, you know, Derek White, we saw in Murray's stead last year. Murray tears his ACL in the preseason. We all prematurely bury the Spurs, as always. Then they do a Spursy thing, win 45-plus, make the playoffs. First round, against the two-seed Denver, they take Denver to seven games. And Derek White, for those first couple games in particular, is an absolute monster on both ends of the court. So, Bobby, do you think he can carry that over to this year? I mean, he just looks so comfortable, right? That was the thing that stood out to me a lot watching him last year is, like, he didn't look kind of like the wide-eyed, like, oh, my God, this might be an accident kind of thing that young guys can kind of do. I mean, he just looked so relaxed, so fluid, and, I mean, it's a very Spursy thing. Like, he plays at his own speed. Um, Like, you got guys like Patty Mills who's just flying all over the place all the time, and then Derek White is kind of like the opposite. He's just very sort of, like, relaxed and just gets to his spots. Um and he's a really good defender, too. So I think that he's like a starting caliber player uh, in the league. And I think that he and DeJounte can play together, too. And they could be the kind of team, defensive backcourt, that shuts down Houston. So as much as I want the Spurs run to end, I mean, it's going to be tough to to see it come to an end. Because those two guys are so good. And DeMar is still so good. And LaMarcus Aldridge is still so good. Um 
But that was the thing, kind of like watching White specifically last year. I mean, he would like shut down Luca and then go to the other floor and give whoever it was who was guarding him buckets. I mean, he yeah. he just seemed so like so within himself and so poised and composed for a rookie guy. Um, and uh, I mean, getting Dejounte back, I think he's another guy that looked really good too. So uh, I don't know. I mean, Pop is really not known for uh kind of like bringing the young guys along sort of it's always been like this vet run ship down in houston in uh, san antonio but uh dude i mean i don't i think you gotta let those two guys carry you i mean mm-hmm. they're both so good yeah i'm totally on board with that i wrote an article at the basketball writers bballwriters.com um about that earlier this summer where i kind of just said like you know demar Derozan and lamarcus aldridge are going to be their two leading scorers but the Spurs are only going to go as front as far as their young backcourt takes them. So you can check that out at bballwriters.com. Use the code the NBA Pod for 10% off your daily, monthly, or annual subscription there. So more, let's talk about the other guy. Real quick, real quick. I'm sorry. Oh. Can I cut you off? Yeah, go for it. First off, that was an awesome plug. Thanks. Second, uh, may, and this might have been your next question. I'm sorry if I if I am getting jumping the gun here, but like, yeah. you got Murray and you got White. And they just got, like, Kelton Johnson and Lonnie Walker's coming along. Like, at the end of this season, Aldridge and DeRozan could both be free agents. I mean, what is, like, what is going to happen? Yeah. Where do you I, all think that's going? I I genuinely don't know. Because um, the Spurs have never been one of those teams that's like, we're going to give up on the playoffs to prioritize our young guys. And... We don't know how long Pop's going to be. I know he signed the extension, but, like, basically it's Pop is year to year at this point. There was a lot of speculation before he signed the extension that, you know, he might be done after this year and then he's going to coach the 2020 Olympics and he's out. So I feel like they're going to stand pat just because they, they don't want to send Pop out on a losing note. Yeah. But it, it wouldn't totally shock me if they at least sniff around on those guys. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there there were some some rumblings about a, a Demar Derozan extension, right? But I I just don't feel that makes a whole lot of sense, given his age and given you know all the guards that are going to have to get minutes somewhere. I mean, mm. y- you could even argue that they can play uh, Derek White at the three if they go ultra small moving forward, because then eventually Lonnie Walker is going to be in there, Deontay Murray. Like Bobby, you just mentioned Keldon Johnson as well. Like th- that's a lot of players who need good minutes as well. So it, that's a tough situation. And also, De- DeRozan is what thirty-one? I want to say thirty, something like that. Yeah, it came out in 09, so it's he's got to be thirty, he, thirty-one at least by now. He I think. Yeah, thirty in uh, early August. Okay, so just thirty. That's that's not too bad. But like at the end of his contract, like if he picks up his option next year, let's assume he does. And then it's off in 2021. Like, do you really want to invest like a four-year contract on a guy who, at that age? I right. I don't think so. I'm yeah. I'm I'm not so sure. And and Lamarcus is significantly older. So, I mean, I enjoy those guys. They're absolutely great at their roles, and I think they're going to be relevant for at least a couple years uh, further down the road. But maybe not necessarily for the Spurs. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there because at some point they will have to pivot, right? One mm. one would think. Yeah. When it seemed like I I forget where I saw this too, but I, I think sometime this summer, 
Pop kind of like resigned himself to the fact that they've got to start shooting more threes. I know he's like been so staunchly against the three pointer for like many, <laughs> yeah. many years. I mean, his quotes about it are hilarious. And honestly, I kind of agree with him in, in some respects. Like the game is kind of, I don't know, it's just like very homogenized these days, in, in my opinion. I don't know, it's a real old man take, but uh, <laughs> he kind of said somewhere, like, we got to shoot more. And guys like DeRozan and Aldridge are not three-point shooters. So, And neither really is Derek White or DeJounte Murray. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that change has to it has to come from somewhere. I don't know if it's, like, new, bringing in new faces or trying to, like, change change guys' games who have been established for a while. But, yeah, this, like, kind of, like, philosophical or ideological shift is sort of happening at a time when, like, this generation of Spurs basketball could kind of be turning over. I don't know. It's just a really – it feels kind of like they're at, like, a turning point this year. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, it totally does. And it's kind of like the $100 million question hanging over them is like, yeah, they've got that nice young backcourt. And in theory, those guys will carry them. But where do they carry them to? Like, Mm -hmm. was, you know, was that first round series against Denver kind of the ceiling for this team? I I don't know. I don't think so. Because, I mean, more... What do you expect to see? You know, Murray's coming back this year. Right. It sounds like his recovery is going well. Um, I think Keith Smith of Real GM uh, talked to some execs at Summer League, and they all basically said, like, we're super high on this kid still. You know, it sucks that he got hurt last year, but he's looked great this offseason. Like, we think he's still going to have a big year. So. What? How do you see him fitting next to Derek White and, you know, expectations for those two guys? So here's something interesting. His birthday is tomorrow, and he's only going to turn 23, mm. meaning that mm. when when he went down, we were all completely in love with this kid, by the way. We were all very hyped about him. When he went down, he was just 21 years old, and he, he was so accomplished by that point. I mean, already he was a great rebounder, a great defender. And, and when you have an ACL tear at that age, like, you almost are grateful that it happened so early because the body, because being so young, is just able to handle a lot better than if you're significantly older. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be an acclimation process for him coming back, just like trusting the knee and trusting his body again, because that seems to always be, be relevant for players to return. So maybe this year is not going to be the best one, the best year to to like make an example of how great he is. I think it's going to be the year after, but what I fully expect him to come back as is just engaged because whenever he hit the court, that dude was just engaged. Whatever he wanted to do, he like, he was in it. He was not, you know, some, someone who just like kind of floozed around. Like no, he played the game in a very intense, very energized way. And I think that's just part of his DNA. So that's what I expect from him coming back. I don't care about the stats. I honestly don't care about the impact either, even though I think it's going to be positive. Mm-hmm. I just want to see him back and, and trust his own body again, because that's a huge step. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Bobby, since you asked us about kind of where the Spurs are going long term, let's assume they stand pat this year and don't trade DeRozan or Aldridge, keep the same core around. What do you think the ceiling for this team is? Do you think they are they like are they a lock to win 45 games, make the playoffs? This would be the 23rd straight year, I believe, that they would make the playoffs if they do. Um, or do you think that streak is in danger? I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to sound too crazy, but like 
I think the streak is in danger, but I don't think that that's necessarily saying anything that's like surprising just because there's so many good teams in the West. But mm-hmm. I think if I'm like, I'm feeling real bold. I just drank a bottle of water. I'm kind of like, I'm feeling a little crazy right now. <laughs> I think this might be the year that it comes to an end. Oh, just because I mean, they were now they were very good last year and they are adding Murray. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, they could they potentially upgrade it and and getting Lonnie Walker into the mix could kind of give them a little bit of a little extra something too, but um, I think that it's kind of this is kind of the end of the road for them and I don't again I don't think that that's too crazy because like you got the the big four in the West right like the Denver Utah L A L A unless you think that Portland or Golden State are falling off which they might but I we'll see about that. Uh, Houston is definitely going to be in the playoffs unless things go horribly wrong. Mm. I mean, at that point, there's one spot left for San Antonio or Dallas or Sacramento or Minnesota. I mean, I just don't know that the Spurs are like guaranteed to be better than all of those teams. They don't have mm-hmm. to be better than two or three of them. They have to be better than all of them in order to make the playoffs. And so I just... I think that like I'm going to play the odds and say that this is the year that it ends because not because like they're going to fall off. I mean, they could fall off by two or three wins and miss the playoffs. But I think that it's because everybody else is so good that I just can't like I can't talk myself into being convinced that this is going to be uh, a winning like 45 win season for them. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. And New Orleans is in that mix, too. So it's basically like every West team that isn't Phoenix or probably Memphis is at least going into the season with the hope of even if they're not going to make the playoffs, like let's win at least 35 games. Let's be in that mix. Um, And yeah, I mean, none of those teams should feel comfortable where they are going into the year. No one, none of them should feel like they have a playoff spot locked up. What makes me think the Spurs have the inside track is the defense. I just think, Murray and White, as you mentioned, like they might be one of the only teams that can actually defend Harden and Russ, you know, and given how guard dominant the NBA is today, I feel like they're going to have the pieces to really cause teams to have a difficult night during the regular season. Also, the Spurs are just one of the best coach teams in the NBA. They have fewer of those frustrating, like, oh my God, we just lost to Phoenix and it's not a back-to-back. Like, (laughs) there was no reason to lose to this team. Because it's pop, I, I think they avoid those kind of letdown games more than most other teams. So I've learned over the past 22 years that I'm, I'm just going to pick the Spurs to make the playoffs every year until I'm, I'm, until they don't. Yeah, I mean, I sound like and an insane person being like, this is the year. You know, <laughs> I've been saying this since 2006. Right. But, I mean, to your point, last year... Uh, they went 28 and 15 against teams with losing records, and they went 20 and 19 against teams with winning records. So, like last year was arguably their least talented roster that they've had in mm. 20 years, and they were still able to have a winning record against good teams. So, yeah. and that's a testament to Pop and the coaching and everything. Uh, and I mean, obviously, Demar Derozan is a lot better than kind of the Twitter world thought whenever uh, you know Toronto was losing to LeBron every year, but. Right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel crazy for saying it out loud, but I think that this 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 could be the year for them. I don't know. More. What do you think? Well, I'll I'll say something that's even more crazy. Okay. 
I'm thinking like because you mentioned something that was very interesting interesting, like that this is the year that that where you've got to make a decision. Like you mentioned the lack of threes and you mentioned like they needed something more, they need to go in a new direction. There's a guard who is very unhappy in his current club, who's very young and who's a great scorer and shooter. I was thinking Ooh. like maybe the Spurs could go after Devin Booker. And just Ooh. put him under that umbrella and see what oh, he wow. develops to in 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 the Spurs in the Spurs organization. Like they they it would probably have to be a deal where they sacrificed like a multitude of picks and probably you know maybe Derek White or something and then used maybe Demar as a as a sort of you know salary cap filler. Uh, that may even be too much. I'm not really sure what Devin Booker's value is at right now, but I think it's probably a bit lower than it was a couple of years ago. I imagine, uh, especially because of the contract and he's playing for for a team that has no idea what it's doing. <laughs> so, but that, I think that could be a fun thing to see. Like maybe they pivot around the trade deadline and just kind of go all in on a guy where they say, okay, now now we have someone. Now we have someone we can build around. Yeah. Like, I mean, because like we never it. thought that they would, they, they usually don't swing trades for huge players, but they just did it last year with Kawhi. So like they could, they could do it again. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a part of, you know, evolving. They weren't notorious non-tradey, but maybe that's just part of the the how the game changes. And besides, uh, R.C. Buford is no longer the general manager, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, you have to, at some point, expect changes. And let's be honest, Devin Booker in, in a San Antonio Spurs system? Hell yeah, I'd watch that. It would be really annoying for people who live and work in Dallas. I'll put it yeah. that way. <laughs> this division is already freaking awesome. Yeah, it would be the ultimate test of, is Devin Booker just an empty stats player, or is he actually good? We would find out very quickly in San Antonio. So yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap up, guys. Uh, Bobby, thanks again for joining us today. And one more time, can you let our list? know where they can find you on twitter and where they can find your work yeah absolutely thank you all for having me first off this is this is a blast um you can find me on uh, on twitter at bobby carella it's k-a-r-a-l-l-a uh really only follow me if you like math stuff because I, I tweet about the maths all the time it's very obnoxious <laughs> uh and then you can find the stuff that i write at mavs.com uh you can find the stuff that i talk about um uh, under the dallas mavericks umbrella on itunes spotify google play uh whatever art 19 himalaya wherever you listen to your podcast we're there too so um definitely check me out but yeah like i said i appreciate y'all having me on this is a lot of fun and it also helped me realize that oh my god the southwest division is not going anywhere for a very 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 long time yeah i'm sorry to inform you but this this division has actually just become a fan of a southeast team instead (laughs) oh no no well maybe out of this if uh if the nba expands to seattle and vancouver Dallas is like one of the furthest East Western <laughs> Conference teams. So maybe we could swing like a little swap. Yeah, that, <laughs> that might be the best hope. Yeah. Uh, well, if, if, please follow us on Twitter as well, at the NBA pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bios to give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found on iTunes. Please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews are now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen and by special guest Bobby Corella. Have a good one, guys. You too, man.
Heads up, denim lovers. Old Navy's biggest denim sale ever is here. All jeans are on sale up to 60% off. Styles start at just 12 bucks for adults, 8 bucks for kids. Plus, this Saturday and Sunday only, don't miss the Gina Day giveaway. Want a free pair of Old Navy's all-new jeans? Stop in for your chance to win and for up to 60% off all jeans. Now at Old Navy. Valid 916 to 924. Excludes in-store clearance. Five per day per store. Select styles. Jean giveaway in stores only. See stores for details. 